Edgar Casey was, uh, my relation to the Casey's Edgar in law of one. And then hopefully we'll have time for like question and answer or discussion. So who was Edgar Casey? Uh, I thought that I would start with when I was started researching Casey, I felt like it would be a good place to start with his grandfather, Thomas Jefferson Casey, who had the gift of the second sight. So he was like a well-known water witch or a dowser. He would cut branches off of a peach tree uh, and hold it out in front of him and use, let the vibrations take him to water and uh, they would dig wells there. He was well-known in the community for doing that. Um, he was also reportedly psychokinetic. He uh, could make brooms dance. He could make tables rock back and forth without touching them. But he was also deeply religious, and he thought that if he used his powers for entertainment purposes, that the Lord would take his power away. So he used his gifts for good. Uh, he preferred to put his gifts and powers into his plants to make them grow, as God intended. Um, he was a very successful tobacco farmer, along with his brother, George Washington Casey. And he also used it to tame, uh, tame animals on their farm. He also had seemed to have a knack for uh, taming his grandson, Edgar Casey. Uh, one of his sons at one point said that boy literally came alive in his hands. And they were very, very close, Edgar Casey and his grandfather. Um, and this sort of fostered having these gifts, sort of fostered acceptance in the family for these kinds of powers or gifts. Um, then it was also like a very superstitious part of the country. This was, you know, right after the Civil War and a lot of former slaves were living on the property and they had all sorts of superstitious stories, et cetera. So it was a superstitious part of the country and a kind of like a superstitious family. So Edgar, in 1981, when Edgar was four, his grandfather died, but he wasn't too upset about it, even though they'd been really close. Uh, his family would see him hanging out in the tobacco barn all alone for hours and hours. Uh, when they asked him what he was doing, he said that he was talking to grandpa who came to help the farmhands hang tobacco. He said that he could see him in the beams of light. And if he looked really close, he could see right through him. Uh, his grandpa would tell him old family stories from like long dead relatives that Edgar had never known and would never have known these stories about unless, you know, somebody had told him and his, he said his grandpa was telling him. Uh, so Edgar's grandfather wasn't the only person that he talked to that nobody else could see. He also had a group of playmates that nobody could see. The only person who ever purportedly saw them was his friend. Uh, coincidentally, her name was Little Anna. <laughs> uh, but they but they were the only ones who could ever see these children. Uh, the only thing that bothered them about nobody being able to see them, etc., was that when it rained, the kids didn't get wet. And so they would ask them why, and they would say, oh, well, we can't get wet. We live in the flowers and the music. And when they asked them what music, they said the music of everything. These children also all had names, personal backgrounds, and distinct personalities. In uh, later readings that Edgar would give, uh, it was suggested that these children were entities that were meant to prepare him for the trials and tribulations to come, and that many of the entities, if not all, 
were alleged to have been reincarnated as people who became closely associated with the work. Um, one of the things that these children might have prepared him for was this. Meeting the angel. So as a boy, Edgar really didn't have many friends except for his little fairy playmates. Uh, and he spent hours and hours reading the Bible and praying in the meadows and uh, creeks near his house, uh, asking to be of service. So there's differing accounts of where this happened. A lot of people think it happened in the meadows and the uh, that he used to hang out in, but Edgar himself said that this happened in his bedroom. And I'll just read a quote from uh, of the account from him. I felt as if I were being lifted up. A glorious light as of the rising morning sun seemed to fill the whole room and a figure appeared at the foot of my bed. I was sure it was my mother and called, but she didn't answer. For the moment, I was frightened. I climbed out of bed, went to my mother's room. No, she hadn't called. Almost immediately after I returned to my couch, the figure came again. Then it seemed all gloriously bright, an angel or what I knew not. But gently, patiently, it said, thy prayers are heard. You will have your wish. Remain faithful. Be true to yourself. Help the sick, the afflicted. From this meeting of the angel, he obtained insight into the life that lay ahead of him, uh, what he would end up calling God's work but he didn't really know necessarily what that would mean yet. So the first evidence of what the angel could have meant was this ability that he discovered in himself. Uh, so Edgar Casey went to a little one room schoolhouse in the hamlet of Beverly outside of Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Um, uh, at school, he was kind of a dull and awkward boy. Uh, at the age of 14, he only had a third grade education. One, uh, at one point, his spelling lesson that day was to spell the word cabin, and he couldn't get it. He couldn't spell it. Uh, his teacher was actually his one of his uncles. So he his uncle told or his uncle made him write cabin on the blackboard 500 times after school. Uh, his uncle told his dad what had happened, and the dad intervened. He tried to help. He said, you know, we're going to work at this. We're going to work at this until you get it. So they were up till 10 or 11 p.m. trying to study this lesson. Edgar still wasn't getting it. Um, so his dad gets frustrated, knocks him out of the chair a couple of times. You know, this is back in the day when abuse, I think, was a little more normal. Uh, and Edgar begged for some rest. He said, if I could just get a few minutes of rest, I think I could get this. So his dad said, all right, I'm going to go get something, some water from the kitchen. When I come back, you better get it. So he comes back from the kitchen and finds Edgar asleep on top of his spelling book, wakes him up. They do the lesson. Edgar got it. Uh, so then Edgar says, let's try some other words. So they try some words that he had done a few weeks before and he got it. He was able to spell them. Then Edgar said, like, go to the last lesson in the book. One, you know, we haven't gotten to yet. I'll, I think I can spell it. So his dad goes to the back of the book, tries it. Edgar can do it. So then his dad gets mad, like knocks him out of his chair again. Why did you like, why were you lying to me? Why you already knew this the whole time. But Edgar swore that he could just see it in his head. And um, from then on, he could put he could either sleep on top of a book or just put it to his forehead and be able to see it in his head, regardless of if he had read it or not. Um, and within a year, 
14-year-old Casey went from a third grade education to a sixth grade education, and he was able to use this skill for the rest of his life. He, at like different points in his life, he worked at bookstores. He was able to just put the catalog of books to his forehead, know every book title, every author, what the books were about, and like be able to help his clients that way. Um, another hint of what the angel could have meant was this uh, instance where he looked seemed as though he healed himself. Uh, so during school recess one time at that little one-room schoolhouse, he was struck in the lower part of his spine by a baseball. He didn't uh, seem to be hurt by it. He kind of just brushed it off. But the rest of the day, he acted super weird. Um, in class, he would make rude remarks uh, out of turn. He would, uh, you know, tease girls, pull their hair, things like that he wasn't normal for him to do. He was, you know, a shy, awkward boy. Uh, and at, when they were walking home from school, he would stand in the middle of the road, put out his hand like the Matrix and stop horses and buggies from coming down the street, just like for seemingly no reason. Uh, when he got home from school that day, his mom was roasting coffee beans on the stove and he picked them up without seeming to feel how hot they were and started sowing them like seeds in a field. Anyway, just acting super weird. So his parents, understandably, were upset and put him to bed. And as soon as he hit, his head hit the pillow, he began talking. Uh, he would say crazy things, like uh, things he shouldn't know. Things like he started talking about an affair that the superintendent of a church was having with somebody. Um, he also seemed to to know who was going to win the presidency. He yelled, hooray for Cleveland at one point. And Grover Cleveland was running for president at the time and did end up winning the presidency at that time. Just strange things. But all of a sudden he got serious and he started begging his parents to make up a poultice to put on the back of his head. Uh, and the poultice was, you know, made of things like very easily things that he could get at his house. Like um, it had cornmeal and herbs and onions. Um, but his parents, understandably were confused and didn't did weren't going to do it but his grandmother Sarah Casey who had been married to Thomas Jefferson who Edgar had been so close to did make it and did put it on the back of his head and he seemed to be cured he went right back right to sleep after that and when he woke up the next morning he had no recollect recollection of what had happened since he had gotten hit with the baseball and you know to him, it had just happened. So he woke up asking, did I get hit? <laughs> and I had no memory of what had happened. Uh, so <clears throat> the next major event in his life uh, would change it basically forever. He would seem to be able to give medical advice in his sleep. So at the age of 23, he was on a business trip with his dad. At that time, uh, his dad owned an insurance company and he was a salesman for it. Uh, he had super bad headaches on this trip, and so he went to a pharmacist. The pharmacist gave him a powder, told him to dissolve it in some water, and to take that for his headache. And so he did this in his hotel room. I think it was in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And when he woke up, the next thing he knew, he was in his parents' house in Hopkinsville. Uh, what had happened is some one of the his family friends had found him wandering around a train station in the cold winter with his coat open, uh, didn't seem to know who he was or where he was. So this family friend 
put him back on a train and got him to his parents' house. So everyone was very relieved when he woke up because the doctors didn't really know what was wrong with him. But when he woke up, they found he couldn't speak. He could only speak in a whisper. And this is obviously an issue for him because at the time he was a salesman. That's how he made his money and he needed to be able to talk. Uh, So hypnosis back in this, it was the late 1800s. Hypnosis was a very popular at the time. uh, It was also being experimented with for uh, healing. And there was a popular hypnotist that would come through Hopkinsville all the time. So in desperation, his family asked this hypnotist to come and see if they could, he could try to cure him. And in the hypnotic state, he could talk normally. Everybody was pumped. But as soon as he woke up, he was back to the whisper talking again. Uh, They tried several times, the tip trying to do this hypnosis several times to get it to work because it seemed like it had the potential to work since he could talk under hypnosis. Um, And they had different hypnotists come and try this. So one of these hypnotists, his name was Al Lane, uh, noticed that when Edgar was in hypnosis and was speaking, he seemed to have like a different personality. He seemed to be more knowledgeable, more authoritative than his normal self. So they got the idea to ask Casey himself what they should, what he should do to cure his throat, his voice while under hypnosis. And he told them, uh, he wrote, or he said, quote, In the normal physical state, this body is unable to speak due to partial paralysis of the inferior muscles of the vocal cords produced by nerve strain. This is a psychological condition producing a physical effect and may be removed by increasing the circulation to the affected parts by suggestion while in this unconscious state. That is the only thing that will do it. So they do this. They give him the suggestion under hypnosis to uh, increase the circulation to his throat. And they do, uh, they watch his skin go from like a skin color to a pink, to a rose, to a deep red, uh, like his skin even began to engorge from the, all the blood, like his dad purportedly like leaned over and unbuttoned his top button because they were afraid it was going to pop. So he does this for like 20 minutes. And then 20 minutes later, he says, it's all right. Now the condition is removed. And he, they gave the suggestion for the blood circulation to return to normal. They do that. Uh, he wakes up and gosh darn it, he can talk. Uh, so it wasn't, it didn't end up being the final cure, uh, but it was like the start of this. They had to do it several more times for it to kind of stick. But uh, Al Lane, the hypnotist who had gotten this idea to ask him in the first place, was Casey's first patient. Uh, Lane had a stomach disorder that Casey was able to diagnose and give him things to fix it. Uh, Casey had zero recollection of anything he had said while he was asleep or hypnotized. Uh, But from then on, he was able to put himself to sleep uh, to give hypnosis or, you know, without the use of hypnosis and be able to give readings for people. Uh, So the rest of his life, He gave over 14,000 readings to help people, which had always really been his primary goal, which was to help people and which was what the angel said he was going to be able to do. Uh, In 1910, his readings indicated that he was destined to open a hospital to help people. And there was a boy who had died um, 
because they his family couldn't get the specific treatments that Casey had given in hypnosis for him. Uh, so they weren't able to get the treatments and he ended up dying and it really affected Casey in a negative way. Uh, and in 19, oh, I'm so sorry. In 1928, his dream came true with uh, the building of the Hospital of Enlightenment in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And even though they lost the hospital during the Great Depression, the association he founded, the Association of Research and Enlightenment, ended up buying back the building. And it still is under their care today. It's the ARE Health Center and Spa. And they work to help people transform their lives with holistic healing. They have like massage therapy, body work hydrotherapies, acupuncture, chiropractor stuff, lots of stuff. And the focus today, just like it was when Casey was alive, uh, is on comprehensive body, mind, and spirit care that looks at the whole person and supports the body's innate healing abilities. All right, my relation to the Casey's. So this is a very simplified uh, family tree of, of the Casey's, just showing how we are related to them. So William and Betsy Casey uh, are the head of the Kentucky branch of the Casey's. They moved out to Christian County, Christian County, Kentucky, and after the Revolutionary War in the early 1800s, uh, because the government gave them land grants in Kentucky, and they moved out there. Uh, so they had 10 children, two of whom were George Washington Casey and Thomas Jefferson Casey. Uh, Thomas Jefferson was the youngest of the 10 children and George Washington was the oldest. There's 22 years in between them. But despite the years between them, they were very close. They, like I said before, they were both tobacco farmers and they owned a tobacco warehouse in, in Hopkinsville, Kentucky together. Uh, so my family comes from George Washington, Casey. Uh, Janie Major Hilly is my great grandma. And she was second cousins with Edgar Casey. She was born in 1885. Edgar was born in 1877, but they were born in the same hamlet of Beverly. They went to the same one room schoolhouse, Beverly Academy. Um, and they just, they were just knew each other. Uh, if you notice, uh, oh yeah. So I thought it was funny because George Washington Casey, Thomas Jefferson Casey, and one of the biographies I read uh, Sarah Casey, Thomas Jefferson's wife, saying when she was talking about old William Casey, said, I think it was a joke with him to name all of his sons after presidents. George Washington, James Madison, Franklin Pierce, and your grandfather, Thomas Jefferson. Everyone said it was because he was such a great patriot, but I always had a sneaking suspicion he wanted to make sure none of his boys would ever be president. So he named them after fellows who'd already been elected. Uh yeah, so I thought it was also funny. If you notice, uh, George Washington Casey's daughter, Virginia Casey, my great-great-grandma, she married a major, Howard Major. Uh, her co Virginia's cousin, Leslie Casey, the son of Thomas Jefferson Casey, also married a major, married uh, Carrie Major, and she was also cousins with Howard Major. And I came across this quote that I thought was very funny. Uh, and as everyone in Christian County knew, the Casey's and the majors had married so often and so many generated so many children that there practically wasn't a Casey in the county who didn't have a major as a family member. <laughs> and uh, now we know why there's so many jokes about marrying your cousins in Kentucky. 
So uh, our modern family, the family that still lives there today. So this is uh, Lavina William, who is my mom's cousin, my mom and me. Uh, when I went up recently in April to visit William and talk to him about uh, Casey for this presentation. So William is the head of the Christian County Historical Society. And he reconnected with my mom after a cousin of my grandmother's died. Um, he was in charge of finding all the relatives uh, for the to divide up the state, the estate, and you know just got to got to reconnect with my mom. Uh, I moved to Nashville shortly after that, and it's only an hour from Hopkinsville. So every time my mom would come, she would drag me up to there to see them. And I'm, you know, I'm sad to say that, like, I didn't really care. I didn't know anything about Casey at the time. I wasn't spiritual. And I was in my early 20s and just hanging out with, you know, somebody in their 60s. And I just was not interested. I didn't feel a connection or like any sort of, uh, you know, I didn't feel a connection with them. Couldn't relate to them. Uh, and there was no mention of Edgar Casey at all. And William may have mentioned him. But my mom uh, is an evangelical Christian and really kind of against that. She kind of views it as witchcraft. So even though her her mom and her grandma had grown up talking about him, she never mentioned him to us. Actually, how I found out about Edgar Casey is that in 2017, uh, when that big solar eclipse happened, my sister Emily, the, apparently the best place in America to watch it was going to be in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. So the only people we know in Hopkinsville is my mom's cousin, William. So Emily called William up and asked, can I go, can we come up to your house to watch it? So he said, of course, they went up, she and her boyfriend at the time, now husband. And when they got there, there were hundreds of people. She said probably about 200 people. And she was like, what did we crash? <laughs> uh, so they started talking to people and everyone was there because of Edgar Casey. Um, Beverly Academy is on is on actually William's property. Uh, they were all there because of Casey. So that's how I found out that I was related to Edgar Casey. And my sister was telling me the story and saying they were all there because of Edgar Casey. And I said, well, why were they there because of Edgar Casey? What does that have to do with anything? And she said, we're related to him. William, like William keeps his estate. And I was like, uh, so William, when we went up there to visit, was nice enough to take us to the Majors Cemetery. Uh, here's a picture I took. Uh, there's a dogwood in bloom I thought was cute. Um, I actually looked at, he kept calling it a dogwood winter. So I looked up what that meant. And it's a South Midland and Southern United States Americanism, meaning a short period of cold weather in the spring when the dogwoods are in bloom. So we got to experience that. <laughs> uh, here's the grave of Virginia and Howard Major. This was George Washington's daughter. Um, and then here is the gravestone of my great-grandma, Janie Major. So Janie is not married, buried in the Major Cemetery um, because she married a Hilly. So she was buried with the Hillies in the Riverside Cemetery in Hopkinsville, which is the same uh, cemetery that Edgar Casey and his wife are buried in. So he took us to see those graves as well. This is Casey's grave. I thought it was kind of cute that there were all these trinkets on it. Little, You can't even read it because it's just covered in stuff. Uh, and there's his wife, Gertrude's grave, which was right next to it. And this is all that marks that it's Casey's grave. Um, William said that he, everybody's always surprised that Casey's grave is so plain and that it, there's not like any sort of declarations about it. Uh, but that's just exactly how he wanted it to be.
So this is Beverly Academy, the one room schoolhouse where uh, Casey and my great grandma went. Um, I thought it was cute. There's a, there are two doors to get in. One is for both the boys to enter once for the girls to enter. Uh, they do a historical reenactments there now uh, as part of the historical society. And this is Liberty Christian Church, which was built in 1956. This was the first church Casey ever went to. This was the church in his community. Uh, and William and his wife still go there today. All right. So Edgar and the Law of One. The first major similarity I found between L&L Research and Casey is obviously Kentucky. Uh, L&L Research is based in Louisville and you know, Carla moved to Kentucky for college. Don was a professor there. I put here because I was in Louisville. <laughs> uh, and Casey was also born in Kentucky. He was born in Christian County in 1877. He even lived in Louisville for a short time. Um, so in when I was reading one of his biographies, they mentioned that he had gone to church at First Christian Church in Louisville uh, at the intersection of Fourth and Walnut. So I thought, huh, I wonder if that church is still there because, you know, I'll be in Louisville. So I looked it up and it is not still there, but it is the exact corner where Thomas Merton, the Trappist monk, had his mystical vision in 1958, where he was, quote, suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that he loved all these people. I just thought it was like a really cool coincidence that, uh, you know, it's the same intersection where. Edgar Casey had, you know, went to church and lived. And then it's the same intersection that Tom Spurton had his, one of his great visions. <laughs> getting text. Anyway, so the second, uh, the second is the uh, similarity I found was Christianity. So Carla was a mystical Christian. Um, she saw Jesus as her personal savior. And from the ages of two to five, she was able to enter a beam of light. That sounds familiar. Like Casey could see his grandfather in a beam of light. Uh, she would enter into a beam of light that came from putting her glasses into the Venetian blinds where the sun would shine through. Uh, and when she entered into this light, she entered a magical garden where she saw Jesus. He was there and he never spoke. Uh, he was not like the Jesus that you saw. she saw at church. He was kind of dirty, looked like he'd been traveling a lot, like had kind of matted hair, dusty sandals. But when Carla looked at him, she knew unconditional love. And this is from Jim's eulogy of Carla's funeral. Her devotion to Jesus as her Lord and Savior began then and never wavered throughout her life. And from that point on, love would become her way of looking at the world. Carla herself same, Kate, said that she came to channeling from the mystical Christian tradition. She was born a mystic and very probably had the gift of faith at birth. And Carla didn't do dogma. Uh, she said that she concentrated on the red print of the King James Version of the Bible because these words were said to have been spoken by Jesus, and she thought them to be less distorted than the rest. Casey was also a strong Christian. He was a devout member of the Christian church. Um, I think they're called Disciples of Christ now, but back then it was called the Christian church. Uh, he had wanted to be a preacher ever since he was a young boy. Uh, he taught Sunday school at almost every single church he went to in his life, even as a boy, even at that church, Liberty Church, where he first went. Um, he was known for reading the Bible once for every year of his life. 
and he was intensely curious. He would ask church elders really difficult questions they never were able to understand, uh, answer, like, you know, why can't my mom be a deacon or why can't my sisters participate in this? One former church elder recalled taking a different route to church every Sunday just to avoid being stopped and interrogated by Edgar. And he was also quoted as saying that someday all the churches will get together and be one again the way Jesus intended. So Carla and Casey both received information they couldn't possibly have known otherwise. So I wanted to look a little bit at the source of that information. Obviously, Carla's source is raw in the Confederation. Who's Ra? So he's a, uh, Ra is a unified group of beings or social memory complex of sixth density. They are also members of the Confederation of Planets in the service of the infinite creator. Responding to the call of service issuing from our planet, their efforts to aid humanity began long before our recorded history. Their purpose, mission, and intended service is to offer and enunciate the law of one, which is to say that to those who wish to learn the true nature of the universe, Ra teaches of the unity of all things. That's from the concept guide. So uh, Edgar's source was basically two. Uh, the unconscious mind of the individual he was giving a reading for and the Akashic record. He said, as a matter of fact, there would seem to be not only one, but several sources of information I tap into when in the sleep condition. One source is apparently the recording that an individual or entity makes in all of its experiences through what we call time. The sum total of the experience of that soul is written, so to speak, in the subconscious of that individual, as well as in what as is known as the Akashic records. Anyone may read these records if he can attune himself properly. Uh, so then I didn't know what the Akashic record was before I started looking into all this. Uh, but luckily, Ra and Casey both give us definitions. Ra's definition is from 14.32. Where did the information come from that Casey channeled? I am raw. We've explained before that the intelligent infinity is brought into intelligent energy from eighth density or the octave eight. The one vibratory sound complex called Edgar used this gateway to view the present, which is not the continuum you experience, but the potential social memory complex of this planetary sphere. The term your peoples have used for this is the Akashic record or the hall of records. So Casey's definition from the reading is this, the record that the individual entity itself writes upon the skein of time and space through patience and is opened when the self has attuned to the infinite and may be read by those attuning to that consciousness. Uh, you know, he also called this in his readings, the book of life, the book of God remembrances and the Akashic records. All of these were the same uh, term for it or different terms for the same thing, y'all. I also want to talk a little bit about the difference between channeling versus reading. So channeling is an entity using your body as a channel to tell a message. Uh, the dictionary defines it as of a person, serve as a medium for a spirit. So Carlo was channeling an entity. So there was a need to challenge the source. Uh, there was a need to tune for this kind of conscious channeling uh, from her con channeling handbook. She said, you are also, once you receive a contact in need of actively discriminating and challenging the source that you have contacted in order to challenge any invisible entity, you must be able to state in a sincere and unequivocal way who you are, what you believe in, what you love and for what you would die. 
A reading, on the other hand, is, you know, where you tap into the potential social memory complex of the earth. Uh, and the ARE has kind of just defined it as the responses Edgar gave while under while unconscious. So Casey was not channeling an entity. So there was no need to challenge that entity. Uh, and, you know, Ross says, you know, when they asked the Edgar Casey material, who spoke through Casey, Ross said, I am raw. No entity spoke through Edgar Casey. Uh, so what information did they receive from the sources? Well, the information they received from the law of one, the main source is the law of one, which is you are everything, every being, every emotion, every event, every situation. You are unity. You are infinity. You are love, light, light, love. You are. This is the law of one. And in Casey's readings over in over the 14,000 individual life readings, they discovered that at one time, all souls were united in non-physical form in a state of love, unity, perfection, and total oneness. So the main messages of both sources are the same. They also got a lot of healing information. Um, according to the, to the law of one, uh, there's three sources or there's three aspects to healing. Firstly, the mind must be known to itself. This is perhaps the most demanding part of healing work. If the mind knows itself, then the most important aspect of healing has occurred, for consciousness is the microcosm of the law of one. The second part has to do with the disciplines of the body complex. In the streamings reaching your planet at this time, these understandings and disciplines have to do with the balance between love and wisdom in the use of the body and its natural functions. This third area is the spiritual. And in this first, this area, the first two disciplines are connected through the attainment of contact with intelligent infinity. Uh, from 4.20, Ross says, one of the primal distortions of the law of one is that of healing. Healing occurs when a mind-body-spirit complex realizes deep within itself the law of one. That is, that there's no disharmony, no imperfection, that all is complete and whole and perfect. Thus, the intelligent infinity within this mind-body-spirit complex reforms the illusion of body, mind, or spirit to a form congruent with the law of one. The healer acts as energizer or catalyst for this completely individual process. Casey also got a lot of healing information. Uh, it's enough for them to publish many books on healing. This is the encyclopedia of healing from him. Uh, but his medical advice was a lot more practical than Ross. His was like specific procedures to do, medicines to take, supplements to try. Um, but same with the law of one. One of the most important concepts Casey's readings gave was that when it comes to one's health, the whole person, body, mind, and spirit needs to be considered. And the Journal of American Medical Association even cited Casey as the root of holism, saying the roots of present day holism probably go back 100 years to the birth of Edgar Casey. Uh, the majority of his readings, about 70% of 14,000, uh, were for medical readings, were for people requesting healing of their overall health, acute or chronic illnesses or diseases. Uh, they also got information about dreams and dream interpretation. Uh, according to the law of one, dreams let you experience that lesson or attempt that lesson, which has not been well learned in the waking activity. That's from Latwi in 1981. And 
According to Casey, they work to accomplish two things. They work to solve the problems of the dreamer's conscious waking life, and they work to quicken in the dreamer new potentials, which are to his claim. Uh, over and over, Casey pointed out how dreams signal to the dreamer that it's time for him to carry new responsibilities or to develop more mature values or to stretch his thinking. Such dreams are not simply solving practical problems, but they're helping the dreamer to grow. So according to both sources, the main purpose of dreaming is to learn and to grow. Uh, in as regards to like specifically interpreting dreams, uh, the law of one, this is kind of crazy. I was looking for information about dream interpretation and stumbled across a question I had asked that was answered. And I'm using the answer to that for this part of this presentation. Uh, Quo says, uh, you know, to, that it's important to look within yourself for the dream interpretation, that it's most helpful if it's done regularly on a regular basis. And they recommended to keep a dream journal to become familiar with your dream imagery. Uh, Casey also had a similar ideas about dream interpretation. He said, there's for most people, there's only one dreamer that they grasp with the requisite depth, and that's themselves. And accordingly, the proper study and dream interpretation is, first of all, oneself at every level. All right. So what do you do with all this information you receive from a source? You start an organization, to keep it all organized. Uh, LNL Research was founded in the 1960s. Actually, I found out technically it was the 1970s, but it began to form in the 1960s and is dedicated to discovering and sharing information to aid in the spiritual evolution of humankind and the healing of planet Earth. Uh, the ARE was founded in 1932 to create opportunities for profound personal change in body, mind, and spirit through the wisdom in the Edgar Casey material. So some similarities I saw in the organizations uh, that are both are focused on researching and sharing metaphysical truths that they both had extensive mailing lists when they started where they would disseminate the readings or channelings. Um, I asked Jim when the first LNL research newsletter was uh, sent and it was sent in 1982. And from what I could tell from the ARE, they started sending out their material and newsletters in the sixties. Uh, they both have like sort of come into the modern age and all of the material for both sites, uh, for both organizations are all fully online and you can search them by keyword. Uh, they also have come up with classifications of the material. So like raw would, you know, an example would be 104.4 for raw. That would mean the 104th session, the fourth question. And Casey, like they would have 37-1. And that would mean it was the 37th person Casey had given a reading to. And it was that person's first reading. Uh, they also have audio versions of all the material on their website. They also both have published tons of books. I looked at so many Edgar Casey books when I was researching this and every single one I read except for the biographies were published by, by the ARE. And obviously LNL Research has published, you know, many, many books. Uh, they both also have study groups, like just off the top of my head. I know there's one in Austin. There's a Seattle one, the one here in Dallas, <laughs> uh, Asheville, Louisville, all over the world. 
the ARE has basically one in every single city in America. Like I was looking, I was shocked at how many there were just in Tennessee. I was, it seems like it's a lot more, uh, yeah, they just have so many. I was so surprised. Um, they also both host events, obviously LNL hosts homecoming, coming home, the Prague, uh, homecoming, and the ARE has so many. They have their annual Congress, which seems to be the closest uh, to what our homecoming is. They have reincarnation and soul life conferences. They host meditation Mondays. Like, it's crazy. They have so many events. And I just, this was from homecoming last year, just as an example of uh, one of the events we had. I think Doug's in there somewhere. Were you in there? I don't know. <laughs> All right. So the last... Uh, Similarity I found uh, was this of overexertion or martyrdom. Uh, you know, it seems like a lot of times people who are here to serve really struggle with this. So during World War II, Edgar Casey felt the need to increase his readings. He had been doing two a day, which the readings indicated was the correct number to do to not overexert himself. But he started to do two to four, then to six. And then he finally ended up doing eight a day. His source said that he could really only do two a day or he'd kill himself. Uh, but he didn't necessarily listen. And in August of 1944, when he was suffering from exertion and edema of the lungs, he collapsed. And the following month, he had a stroke. The last reading that he gave himself uh, was not followed by the doctors in charge. And he ended up passing away on January 3rd of 1945, followed closely by his wife, Gertrude. Um, they died in, he died in Virginia Beach, where their direct descendants still live today. Uh, he did not live long enough to witness the full reach of his ideas, unfortunately. And uh, I wanted to read this excerpt of a letter he wrote in September of 44, you know, just a few months before he died, which was... My hands won't let me use the machine. I doubt whether you can read this, but I hope you can make some of it out. I'm not doing too well. Sort of a stroke, I guess. They've come in a kind of series. I hope to get back to work for a while yet, and I want to hold out until the boys get home. I can't much more than put on and take off my clothes. I can't tie my shoelaces or not my tie, but I'm hoping to be better soon. There's so much to be done and so many who need help. Uh, Carlo was also prone to overexertion. Uh, during the wrong contact, Ra warned Carlo of being on a path for martyrdom uh, in 84.4. And, but luckily she had Don and Jim to help kind of prevent this. Uh, they, you know, there, she was able to receive sexual and energy transfers from Jim. And I didn't realize this, but Ra had asked or given Jim and Don control of how many sessions to uh that they were allowed to have because they were more objective than Carla and she wanted to help so much that she probably would have worked herself to death for it. Uh thankfully because of this she was able to live and serve for many more years and she until she passed away in 2015 but she seemed to um you know she got to participate in a lot of the good work that LNL research did because she was able to survive past the eighties. Uh, Ross said, you know, this instrument is aware of certain overbalances toward love, even to martyrdom, but has not yet to any significant degree balanced these distortions. For those who seek further, the consequences of martyrdom must be considered. 
For in martyrdom lies the end of the opportunity and the density of the martyr to offer love and light. Each entity must seek its deepest path. All right. The end. Um, the end. If anybody has any questions or any stories they want to share, please, please do that. I got a couple. If you can hear me. Yeah. So this is Mark. Um, so I grew up in Ithaca, New York, and grew up on a house on Aurora Street. And my mom sold that house to the Thomas uh, family in, uh, when I was like 14. Uh, no, I think I was like 13. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But the folks that bought the house, the Thomases, uh, had three kids. And one of them was Phil Thomas. Phil Thomas went on to study Edgar Casey's material. He actually moved for several years to Virginia Beach to the ARE Institute. And um, he, uh, he, he's for years, he's been making the wet cell devices that Edgar Casey talked about and gave plans for, and the dry cells for energy balancing and healing. And he does the atomic iodine. So I just thought that was kind of weird that we both grew up in this house uh, where I had, as a child, I had out-of-body experiences and so forth and some other weirdness going on and kind of an interesting synchronicity uh, in that respect. And uh, he actually, we were on an overlanding trip recently and I was commenting on uh, earth energies and twin trees growing along ley lines. And later that day, uh, Phil doesn't live around here. Right? We talk once in a while. He lives back in New York. I'm in Oregon, all the way across the country. And later that day in Facebook, he sent my wife a picture on Facebook, a twin three saying the exact same thing. So we're kind of wavelength. We have off and on for our whole lives. And when I was a kid, we used to play together. And he, so he went off into this. The other thing that um, uh, was interesting to me, because uh, I've always been interested in Casey's work and I haven't studied him as extensively as you had or has or Phil has, but uh, I got the uh, honor and privilege to uh, record um, Edgar Evans Casey's workshop when I, for a dozen years, I was at the Omega Institute for Holistic Studies is one of our contracts for doing recording work. So I got to be in his class and that was kind of, that was kind of fun. Uh, uh, one other quick thing. I just finished a book called uh, Visions of Atlantis, and Casey talks about Atlantis in several sessions. I he, um, I just I want to interrupt you for a quick minute because <laughs> I had four slides on Atlantis that I cut because of time. But yeah, I love I loved reading all about his Atlantis stuff. Anyway, I don't want to take up any more time, but in that book, they one of the uh, one of the things they mentioned actually there were uh, between Casey and this other guy whose memory. That, that his name slips my mind, but um, he did automatic writing, uh, supposedly uh, getting information about Atlantis. And the person that was giving him the information was talking about the law that uh, basically at the in the Atlantean times, the people that inhabited Atlantis, there were two groups. One was teaching the law of one. And Edgar Casey said the same thing. And there was another group that dedicated to service to self that uh, called themselves evidently the, the sons of Bilal. And so they were kind of at odds with each other. So 
anyways, a couple of interesting things I wanted to throw out. That's so cool. Thank you so much. I love, like, honestly, that was the first thing that struck me when I started reading Casey's stuff. The Atlanta stuff was they, they like literally call this is they're talking about the actual law of one that raw was talking about. And, and raw also talks about how the Atlanteans had received technology because they had reached this point of spiritual anyway. So you can see the correlations between the two for sure. Does anybody else want to say anything? Please feel free to tell a story or. And if nobody, if nobody has anything to say, I did have like a thing where I kind of tried to like wrap it up, like into like how this all like affects me. Um, If anybody's interested in hearing that, I will go ahead and do it. Okay. So, um, so it was, it was very interesting for me to find out that I was related to Edgar Casey because it was just a few years ago that I did. And um, realizing as well that on my dad's side, uh, my dad's dad, my grandfather, his first cousin uh, was Padre Pio, the Italian saint who he um, got would get stigmata. That was his miracle that happened. And stigmata is when you get the wounds of Christ um, on your body, like in the wrists or hands and on the feet. And um, when I was 16, my entire extended family went to Rome for the canonization of Padre Pio, except for our immediate family. And it was because my dad hates Catholicism. They're very evangelical Christians. So so I was always very insulated from all that. Like I knew I was related to him, uh, but I didn't know anything about him. I actually, I didn't, I only found out really who he was and his stigmata from my best friend in high school's grandparents were very Catholic. So they kind of had pictures of him all over their house. And when I would go over there, I'd be like, Oh, we're, I think we're related to him. And so Kayla, she told me all about him. I wouldn't have known otherwise. Um, and I grew up very Christian. I went to all Christian schools my whole life from preschool to college. I only went to Christian schools and I never was comfortable with it. I never felt like it was the whole story. I liked Jesus. I just didn't it just never felt like enough. I don't, I don't know how else to explain it except for that. But so I always really rejected Christianity, even though I had a lot of, um, I knew I had, I had a lot of knowledge about it, but, uh, finding my own spiritual practice came first for me, like finding the law of one happened, you know, in 2016. And that really changed my life. Uh, and I wasn't comfortable with Christianity at all then, but like finding out that I have these two sort of Christian mystics in my family has like really kind of brought it all together to me, given me the, the idea that, you know, Chris, the imagery of Christianity is okay and is actually like beautiful and is a perfect vocabulary to describe all of these crazy things that are happening. And so I feel you know, how I said, I never really felt connected to William whenever I'd go up there, but like now I sort of feel connected to this part of my family that I would, that I didn't know about. And maybe I wasn't ready to know about earlier in my life and only after like finding my own path. And so. Thank you so, yeah. for sharing that. And uh, I just want to offer this is that even though Ra didn't say this, but I actually believe, um, that Edgar Casey and Padre Pio, amongst a couple of others, 
if some of you might know Daskalos, the work of Daskalos, but I believe that they are part of the 150 um, that were harvested uh, or harvestable, Ross says, at the end of the second major cycle, so 25,000 years ago. There's only one, 150, and, and then Ross says that these 150 became what has been known in esoterica as the elders. And uh, when you look at some of the, the different ways that the elders have behaved, there's the, co the correlations to me seem very much what in line with what Padre Pio, St. Francis of Assisi, Teresa of Avila, um, St. Augustine, you know, I, these are all people that they say was, Ross says that were the elders. So pretty cool. That's just my thoughts. So on that. No, I could definitely see that. And that would make a lot of sense. I know he said Francis of Assisi was one and I can see how like mm -hmm. other and like, right. St. Teresa was one. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. This was a fantastic, fantastic uh, time thing. Thank you so much. And did you record it or did Noah record it? Who, who recorded this? I think I recorded it. Okay. I'm still recording. <laughs> you can so. put, maybe, maybe you could put that in Slack um, and then I can take that off and make it into the podcast. Yeah. And then also if, if you could put your images in Slack and then I'll put that in and make a post so people can look at the images and listen to your wonderful presentation. Cool. Yeah, that was really awesome. And I, I appreciated the history and it was really fun hearing your connection. And then also I really appreciated your analysis that you did uh, between the two bodies of work. That was really so lovely to just have all that just kind of handed to us like that. So cool. Thank you. It was fantastic. Yeah, thanks, Anna. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Anna. I enjoyed it just as much the second time around. Yay, Anna. <laughs> That's we so want to fun. welcome, we have Christina Powers. Yeah. Hi, Hi everybody. Who's your friend? That's my friend, Kristen. I'm Kristen. Kristen. Hi, Kristen. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hi. Glad to meet you all. And we have, uh, who else do we have here? Is it Dana? Guys. Hey, Dana. Hey, Dana. Hi. <laughs> Hey, Donna. Hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? Hey. <laughs> All right. Um, hey, I have well. an important side note. One of um, one of my main dancers uh, that kind of helped help get the dance party started at the was Christina. Um, <laughs> <That's> me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I heard stories. Leon and I, we 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 rocked the house. We we, we got everybody rocking. Yeah. <laughs> I was saying it was one of my favorite parts of homecoming. That dance party, oh, really? oh, okay. <laughs> I did it for so long. <laughs> Good. Who would like to close this out? We always open and close with the benedictions. Would anybody like to? I pick you, Doug. <laughs> uh -huh. I always pick Doug or Fred. <laughs> okay. All right. Infinite Creator. Our hearts are open 
our minds are renewed and in awe of the magnificence of this mystery of union and unity and that we can have access to wonderful servants such as Edgar Casey and the work that he did with such humility and as well as Ra, who is our other self, our other selves, also giving us incredible insights into the mystery of union and unity. And we thank you for elevated trains outside of Philadelphia. We thank you for Anna's talk, bless her, bless all of us this week and help us to be instruments of this divine spirit in our daily lives. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Anna. We'll see everybody next week. God bless. Yeah. Bye, guys. God bless. God bless. Thank you everybody. Thank you so Thank you. much. Bye. 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 Enjoy. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah. Enjoy the encore. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thanks, Michael. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. <laughs> cool.